CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1-888-827-5276. Again, that's 1-888-ASK-CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Tuesday's edition of To Every Man and Answer. As we start off this brand new year today, we want to just say Happy New Year to everyone listening and pray that you made the transition from last year to this year safely and soundly and looking forward to the great things that God's going to do in all of our lives in this new year. I'm telling you something, all hands on deck. You know, there's no one in the closet now. Everybody's hand needs to be the plow, Jesus said, Work for the night's coming when no one can work. So every day is important. Redeem the time. As Jesus said, the days are evil. And boy, they are, friends. And, you know, redemption of time is is kind of interesting because things that normally we wouldn't be doing much of, well, now God's saying, hey, think about that time and how best to use it for the kingdom. And so we just want to encourage you. If you've got a question, you've been sharing your faith, um, somebody's asked you a question, whatever the case may be, 88 88-ASK-CSN is the number to call. You can be part of the program today. we got a lot of lines open, and so call, and you're assured to get on today. Joining me today, special guest and featured speaker, John Randall from Calvary Chapel, South OC, South Orange County. And he has a new program here on CSN called A Daily Walk that comes on right before To Every Man and Answer at 3 o'clock Mountain Time, 2 o'clock Pacific Time. Adjust your time for wherever you're at listening. But anyhow, um, uh, he's taking um, over the place that Chuck Missler had, and Chuck Missler's is moving into the evening time. But uh, really, John, welcome. Happy New Year to you, and so glad you're part of the CSN family daily now. Oh, thank you so much, Pastor Mike. It is an honor and a privilege, and we've already heard from some of the listeners, and just want to say thank you so much for the kind uh, words and encouragement. It's a blessing to be able to serve. Amen. It's always a a blessing. And, and, uh, you know, one thing I love about radio, it goes into everybody's home, everybody's car, goes into the most troubled home, goes into the most, most, uh, 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 people who need it the most. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's one of the things I just love about, about the communications that we have today. And may the Lord just use those in this new year to bless all the people that listen and again, thank all of you for those that make it possible through your prayers, your support. Again, God bless you, and uh, look for a great new year, what God's going to do. And so if you want to be a part of the program today, again, 8888-ASK-CSN the number to call. And we're going to go to the phones right now. We have Ken on the line in Bellevue, Illinois. Hi and welcome. Actually, it's Belleville. Um, Bell, you know what? You're right. It is Belleville. I see that. Hi. Anyway, I'm reading a book on the temple, Solomon's Temple. Yes. And it kind of discusses the tabernacle. And um, one, thing, one thing that's interesting, it brings up a different viewpoint I never heard of before. Um, when it, in relation to the tribulation temple, and there are people who don't believe there's going to be a tribulation temple. They, one of the things is the sacrifices you know, we're abolished at the, cl- the cross, and God would never endorse sacrifices again. And the Dome of the Rock would have to be destroyed, 
and that might create a holy war. And actually, there's the belief that maybe this is um, not a literal temple, but a spiritual temple. And I'm sure you got you kind of have want to refute that. What would what would you say about that? Well, first of all, uh, we go to Revelation chapter 11. John is told to measure the temple that's not there. It's going to be there. Uh, And it says, do not measure the outer court. It has been given to the Gentiles. Now, I have been to the Temple Mount, and there where the Dome of the Rock Mosque is, to the north and the east of the Dome of the Rock Mosque, there's nothing but trees and sidewalks. Many people believe, and I am one, that the Antichrist is the one who negotiates the peace treaty so that Israel can build their third temple, leaving the outer court out. Now, in the Old Testament, that's as far as the Gentiles could come anyway. Well, it may very well be that the Dome of the Rock Mosque will coexist with Solomon's third temple, or maybe I should say the third temple, not Solomon's, but with Solomon's directive and, of course, uh, uh, the uh, direction that Moses received, that it will be there to the north and the east. Now, actually, as they really examine it, most likely the uh, the actual temple, the where the Holy of Holies were, was not where the Dome of the Rock Mosque is anyway. But the Bible clearly says there's going to be a third temple. Now, understanding what you said earlier about God <clears throat> not reinstituting animal sacrifice, actually... Jesus does, and that's during the millennial reign of Christ when Jesus reigns from Jerusalem, and there the new temple that that will be there, not to forgive sins, but as a memorial or a commemorative to remind people how Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice, where the blood of bulls and goats could never remove the sin, it could only cover the sin. Jesus' blood, in fact, does remove it. But they, the Bible clearly says that they will re-establish animal sacrifices in the temple during the millennial reign of Christ. Now, again, not for the forgiveness of sins, but as a commemorative or a reminder of why Jesus' blood was so important. But I believe the Antichrist is the one that negotiates the peace treaty. And here you have this great man of peace negotiated a peace treaty with the, the Jew and the and the and the the Arab and and even the Christian that here on this mount all three major world religions can worship. Even though the true Christians, I believe, will be gone, uh, we do find this idea of this man of peace. And he creates a world religion. What we oftentimes today refer to Chrislam, or coexist. But halfway through the tribulation period, and this is why I believe that the, the uh, temple is there, <clears throat> most likely during the dedication of the temple when it's built, the Antichrist goes into the temple, maybe guised as dedication, only to announce that he is scrapping the world religious system that he built and declares to the world, now he must be worshipped as God. The Bible says the Jewish eyes are open. Jesus said, don't even go back into your house to get your coat. This is the abomination which makes desolate. The Antichrist, I believe, is fully prepared for swift retaliation to keep off the humiliation of being rejected by the Jews. 
He brings swift retaliation. So quick, Jesus said, don't even go back into your house to get your coat. But the abomination which makes desolate in the book of Revelation, three and a half years into the tribulation period, also marks from that point, three and a half years later, is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not the rapture, but the second coming of Jesus Christ, where he comes and breaks up this war in the Valley of Armageddon, uh, in Valley of Megiddo. Uh, and so your thoughts, John? Well, first of all, this uh, was predicted in Daniel chapter 9, verse 27. Daniel talks about the day that would come when there would be an individual who would be raised up. He would be the Antichrist, and he would go in and commit, as Pastor Mike said, the abomination which brings about desolation. Jesus picks up that same thing in Matthew chapter 24 in the Olivet Discourse, where he also mentions the fact to his disciples during the Great Tribulation period, when you see it, the abomination spoken of by Daniel the prophet standing in the holy place. There's a holy place for the Jewish people. It's there on the Temple Mount. Also, another passage of Scripture, and this one's really important, the Apostle Paul talking about 2 Thessalonians in chapter 2, verse 4, when he speaks of the Antichrist, 2 Thessalonians 2, verse 4, says that he will oppose and exalt himself over everything that is called God or is worshipped so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. That is the abomination that brings about desolation. And I do believe there will be a temple that the Antichrist will build. In fact, Mike, when you visit Israel, right across from the Western Wall, there is a place called the Temple Institute. You can go through and you can visit it. They give you a tour. And what you will find there is they have all of the articles ready, all of the, the temple uh, clothing prepared. They even said they have a link to all the tribes of those who would serve. I asked last time we were there at the Temple Institute in Jerusalem, hey, how long would it take for you guys to set up this temple? They said, listen, we don't even need to set up the whole temple. All we need to do, he said, in 30 minutes, we could take this altar down and set it up and begin sacrificing and worshiping God on that mountain if we were given permission. That really opened my eyes. And I think it's interesting, Mike, that they are looking for it, and many of them are waiting for that temple. Yes, and when you realize that Solomon's temple was built with no hewning sound, the sound of hewning of stones on the Temple Mount, everything was prefabbed someplace else. It was just simply put together. And this is a lot of the the mentality that goes along with the Temple Institute there in Jerusalem, where they're getting everything ready from the lavaliers to the the proper epods, the dress, the the uh, lampstands, everything is all made exactly to the specifications that God gave Moses. So it's it's really interesting to see that they are 100% ready, but they can't go up there. And just as you said, Ken, they'll start a holy war, not without something negotiated by this great man of peace. Now, we know him as the Antichrist, but the world is going to say, who's able to make war with him? Look at the great things he's doing. For for the first time, the Arab and the Jew can hold hands. You know, well, the Bible warns exactly about this. And so, Ken, hope that helps. Yes, it does. And that I find it really interesting that, that this book has been really interesting about, about the, about, but actually kind of talks a little bit about Moses' tabernacle and stuff like that. And, and this part I found interesting because I never heard of this before. So I just... And so I'm actually, I came from a millennial, I grew up in a millennial church. So 
I just, you know, I just find it interesting. Thank you for your help. Well, Ken, uh, God bless you. And uh, stay in line. We want to send you some books, some DVDs. But but again, uh, I, I think anybody that is trying to say that there is not going to be a third temple built is not reading the book of Daniel, does not understand Zechariah, does not understand Revelation chapter 11. Uh, and so I think there's a lot of real problems uh, there uh, because so much of biblical prophecy all the way through the Bible surrounded the temple. Where did Jesus go when he came down from uh, Palm Sunday? And he, he, he came down the hill, and the Bible says he went into the temple. That's where he cleared the money changers. And then the Bible says he taught the people. Everything seemed to surround the temple because it's a picture type of what's going on in heaven. And so I believe this is why the third temple, in fact, will be built, why they're already getting ready for it to be built in Jerusalem right now, and, of course, the place where the abomination which makes desolate takes place three and a half years into the tribulation period. Stay on line, Ken. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. Hope that helps. Thank you. God bless you. Happy New Year to you. Let's go to RW, Northern California. Hi, welcome. Hi, Pastor Mike and Pastor John. Hey, I've asked you, Pastor Mike, this is two or three, three, four months ago. I called in, but you really didn't answer my question, and maybe I didn't phrase it right. And okay. So I really want to re-ask, ask it again. Um, but I want to preface this by saying that I know that there's absolutely grace and forgiveness for everything in our past, total forgiveness. Um, but what about if you go against what God's Word says and and so and that's just what I'm prefacing it by. So Matthew five thirty one and thirty two, Jesus was dealing with the subject of divorce and remarriage, mm-hmm. and he said that whoever divorces his wife um, causes her to commit adultery, and whoever marries one who is divorced is considered an adulterer. Then in First Corinthians seven, Paul addressed a woman leaving her husband, and if for anything other than biblical reasons that she's to remain single or be reconciled to him. So in both those scenarios, is what does that mean to be an adulterer if you married someone who's divorced? They've been divorced for 15 years, but her previous spouse never remarried, wants to um, reconcile and be remarried, but she has no feelings for him whatsoever. And so I just wanted some um, wisdom well, first of all, let, let's look at a couple of things. <clears throat> when Jesus talked about uh, divorce, remarriage, these things, he was talking about a Levitical marriage, not what we have today where Bill can marry Steve. And then Steve catches Bill with Tom, and now he has biblical grounds for a divorce. No, according to the Bible, they're not married, never were married. Now, when we go back and we really look at what a Levitical marriage was, This is where both families agreed concerning everything. Uh, There was a mutual understanding of the child being raised. Oh, you have a very nice little boy. We have a very nice little girl. What do you say when they turn of age? Um, They get married. Okay. And so prearranged marriages were everywhere. They were normal. Um, And anymore, I can almost see why that is not such a bad idea 
with so many different backgrounds, cross-cultural ideas that have permeated our society where men are no longer men, women are no longer women. We don't know what bathrooms to go in anymore. Well, today I feel like a girl, so I'm a girl. Tomorrow I'm going to feel like a guy. I'm going to be a guy. The next day I'm going to feel like a dog. I'll be a dog. This is the problem in our society today. You know, 120 years ago, people's roles were pretty well defined in, in, in the world. Not anymore. You see, the idea of the term family vacation right now with many kids uh, being raised in single parent homes. Well, that's who my, my, my mom is with this month is with this guy. But last month she was with another guy. And then month before that, she was with him for a couple of months. And so all of a sudden now the whole marriage thing is being convoluted. And this is where the problems come in. And I believe this is why the devil attack is on marriage because it's it's the it's the, uh, the the chief cornerstone of civilization or at least for a nation but everything god has designed right now is under attack god the bible says man and female he created them well not anymore no we we go down and chop and channel and do all this kind of stuff and now he's a she and him's a her and all these kinds of things yes yeah, so a, a man can get pregnant no they can't that is a lie from the pit of hell Whatever your DNA says you are is what you are. That's what God says. But just because you wear makeup or, or, or uh, start taking hormones and grow a beard doesn't make you a man. Let's, go, let's look at this scientifically for a minute. That's the problem. And so when we find that woman leaving a man, man leaving a woman because of issues at home. Now, again, Paul outlines for us in Corinthians 7 uh, that if the unbeliever departs, the woman is or the man is not bound under such cases. But we also know that divorce is not the unpardonable sin. And when you said, "Well, what do you do when we're in rebellion to God's word?" Everybody on this planet has been in rebellion to God's word. And it's interesting. The Bible doesn't. The Bible says six things the Lord hates, and seven are abomination to Him. And divorce is not listed there. Interestingly enough. Now, we don't want to get a divorce. I don't think anybody getting married. But here's the thing. Right now, marriage in America is almost a scam. Oh, yes, you heard me say that. Let me explain. The guy marries a girl. This actually happened to me. A guy marries a girl. The girl calls me up and she said, you married me to my husband. And I just got a call from a woman in New York that says he has a kid and she's dropping him off at our house. Um, when the guy gets home, he said, oh, by the way, I got this really crank phone call. This woman called up and said, you have a kid in New York. He hung his head and said, yeah, I do. I never told you about it. Well, why didn't you tell me about it? Because if I would have told you about it, you wouldn't have married me. Friends, that's fraud. And when we understand that this is going on on a wholesale level, the people aren't being honest. Well, how come we don't have any kids? Well, I, I didn't tell you when we got married, but I, I can't have kids. Well, why didn't you tell me that when we were engaged? Well, you wouldn't marry me then. You see, fraud runs wild now. And I, I don't know why people think this is okay to defraud one another and then think, well, you know, once I got my claws into you in this marriage contract, you can't leave 
Well, listen, if you go into a marriage contract, not a Levitical marriage that I talked about earlier, but one of these ones today where deception reigns supreme, I believe there's a lot of things the Bible has to say about that in other areas concerning contractual relationships, whether it be in business or whatever other thing it might be. You can't do that when you buy a piece of land. Oh, I sold you the land, but by the way, it was a nuclear dump site. Well, I got frauded. Yeah, because you didn't tell the truth. This is what's happening everywhere. And right now, see the way our our, our society is, it doesn't matter. If it looks good, it is good. But not all that glitters is gold, everyone. And this is what we're finding today everywhere. And see, this is one of the great problems that, that we're, we're running into is people aren't honest. And they think that they've lied to themselves so much that lying to others now is, is, is no big deal, especially the ones you want to marry. Your thoughts, John? Well, uh, thank you for the question, R.W. I want to say to you that that passage of Scripture, Matthew chapter 5, verse uh, 31, actually Matthew chapter 5 to chapter 7 is what is called the Sermon on the Mount. This is a message for Jesus's disciples. And if you look at the previous verse, let's say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus said, I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. And he goes on to describe what that righteousness looks like. And so in that passage, verse 31, it says, it has been said, or the rabbis have told you, in other words, whoever shall put his wife away and give her a bill of divorcement, but he said, but I say to you, and then he goes on to describe the, the real intent of the law. You see, the problem was during that day, uh, the Bible says uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4, there was a teaching as it related to divorce. And it, it centered around Deuteronomy 24, verses 1 through 4, and it had to do with the word uncleanness. If a man finds an uncleanness within his wife, then you can divorce her. Now, there were varying interpretations as to what that uncleanness was. Some said, if you don't like the way she cooks, you could say, you're unclean. If you found another woman who you liked better than your wife, you could say, I found somebody cleaner than you. That was the liberal interpretation. And then there was a rabbi that interpreted rather strict, and that was as it related to adultery. If adultery or infidelity has taken place, then you are able to give a bill of divorcement in those cases. Now, Jesus is saying, if you think that you can go by what the popular teaching of the rabbis is. Like, I can divorce my wife for any reason. They felt like it was an obligation. Jesus said, listen, and then you go out and you find somebody else. You you kicked her to the curb and you go out and find somebody else and you get a relationship with her started and you think that God's going to honor it. Just know this. You're, you're actually, in a sense, you're committing adultery because you did it the wrong way. So he's telling his disciples that this isn't the standard for you. Don't live like they do. They say, pray this way. Don't pray that way. They say marriage is this. That's not really what my intention was. So he's making a clarification there. Now, specifically concerning marriage, divorce, and remarriage, it really depends on the circumstances. And they are so varied. And I think, Mike, you know, you sit down with one couple. This is what they say. You sit down with another couple. This is what they say. It varies. It depends. God told us in Malachi he hates divorce and primarily because of what it does to people, how it unravels the family and breaks apart the society and communities. He hates what it does to people. It is not unpardonable. 
And I would say that couples, if you're struggling listening today to this program, you need to get premarital, also postmarital, sometimes post-traumatic marital counseling <laughs> with a pastor and sit down and work through these issues and repent and be humble and repentant. Sometimes you can do that, Mike, and other times uh, you can't. No, and, and so you just have to, 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 to look at each individual case. In the Old Testament, if you divorced your spouse, you weren't to go back to him either. And so this is interesting that, and I, I've known many uh, Christians that, that have uh, divorced their spouse. They, they got uh, straightened out with the Lord and remarried, and, and God blesses it. Remember this, one sin is not greater than another. But different sins have different repercussions in the way that it affects you, your life, others around you, especially children when they're involved. And I really believe that this is why it's so important that if all possible to to um, live with them with wisdom, you know, because again, this is what what is the best. It's going to be the best. And so I hope that helps. Well, um, can I... Um ask again, where he said that if you marry a divorced woman, then you're an adulterer. Yeah, you're a sinner. And and so you need to repent and and uh, seek forgiveness. It doesn't mean that you can, it's, it, it, divorce is not the unp- uh, unpardonable sin or unforgivable sin. Right. Uh, and I think this is where a lot of times people read that, because if you mm-hmm. look and see what the Bible has to say, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, about liars uh, not going to heaven. Um, well, uh, since you've been a believer, have you told a lie at all since you've been a believer? Well, yeah. Oh, see, the same law applies there. God gives us his ideal. That's what he wants. It's not an honorable suggestion. It's, it's what God says, this is going to be the best for you. But when we understand there's none righteous, no, not one. Oh, you may not sin in the area of marriage and divorce, but I can guarantee you, you follow them around long enough, you'll find something that they're doing because that's the nature of man. I don't care whether they're alone in their car and they're cussing out the guy in front of them the way they drive or whether they're, you know, no one's around, um, you know, hitting the porn sites on the Internet. L- listen, sin is everywhere. Sin doesn't make you a sinner. Sin proves what we are. But it also shows how desperately we need a Savior, which Jesus Christ is. We don't go to heaven because we're married or divorced or remarried. We go to heaven because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us. And what the Bible does there and the Sermon on the Mount identifies what sin is. But the more we really identify what sin is, none of us live up to God's ideal standard. So where we may excel in some areas, we fall down in other areas. The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. R.W., I hope that answers it for you. That's about all we can say about it. Um, But I wouldn't let things of the past beat me up. Um, As the Bible says, His promises are new every morning. Stay in line. We'll send you out some books, some DVDs. Coming up on a break, everyone. We'll have more coming up right after this. Let's see. If something costs less, but people are happier with it, That sounds like something to look into, and that's MediShare. Maybe you've heard switching to MediShare to pay for health care can save the typical family 500 bucks a month, and that's huge. But it's also true that people are way more satisfied after making the switch, too. The customer satisfaction rate 
for MediShare is double that of the typical health insurance plan. Double. MediShare works. It's been around for more than a quarter century, and members have shared more than $3 billion of each other's bills. People love having telehealth and a huge nationwide PPO network. So, yeah, you can save a ton and like it better. Imagine being happy with how you're taking care of your health care. So if you're self-employed or part of the gig economy or you just want a plan you're happy with, you can call right now and get a price within two minutes. A very, very smart use of two minutes. Here's the number you need. 855-91-BIBLE. That's 855-91-BIBLE. 855-91-BIBLE. This Sanctity of Life Month, we honor the over 63 million babies whose lives have been tragically ended through abortion since Roe. Sadly, with the abortion pill accounting for over 50% of all abortions, babies' lives are at even greater risk. But in the midst of this darkness, there is a light that shines. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion and is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the country. When I heard her heartbeat, I decided to keep her. And now my daughter's about to be three. I don't know where my life would be without her. Preborn shares babies' heartbeats and the gospel of Jesus Christ to help moms choose life for their baby and for their soul. To learn more about the life-saving work of Preborn, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. All gifts are tax-deductible. Your love can save a life. Welcome you back to part two of Every Man and Answer, the first first broadcast of the new year. Happy 2023 to everybody, and um, look forward to seeing the great things that God's going to do in all of our lives this year. The same for this year, just remember this, sin is stupid. That's right, and there's no logic for sin. It's just stupid. Just remember that, sin is stupid. Let's go to Michelle. Oregon. Hi, welcome. Hi, my question is, do people in heaven, can they see what's happening down here on earth and know what, what's going on in our lives? I don't believe so, dear, because the Bible says there's no sorrow in heaven. And uh, I believe that if a lot of parents could see what's happening to their kids and loved ones, I think they'd have a lot of turmoil. Because again, we don't have the foresight. I don't believe perhaps the people in heaven have the foresight of how that eventually will come out, but it sure would be grievous for any parent in heaven to see uh, the poor choices that sometimes um, loved ones, their family, their kids can make. Your thoughts, John? I agree with you, Mike. You know, I think there's a couple passages of Scripture, Michelle, that sometimes people will look to. I think one would be Hebrews chapter 12, where it talks about we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and there is that uh, some say, well, the cloud of witnesses, they must be looking down, watching us run our race. But I don't, I don't think the cloud of witnesses are caught up with our race. They're caught up with looking at Jesus, the author and finisher of their race. Uh, another passage of scripture I think that sometimes people will look to is, uh, Revelation in chapter six, where it talks about the tribulation martyrs, how they're saying to the Lord, avenge their deaths. And some people will say they, they obviously know what's going on. They're asking the Lord to avenge their deaths. So they must be able to see what's going on down there. But the Bible doesn't say 
that they can see what's going on down here. I think when we get to heaven, as Mike said, it's a place of no mores, no more sorrow, no more tears, no more pain, no more death. The former things have passed away. We're going to be caught up with Jesus and uh, just looking at him and worshiping him and serving him. So uh, that's, that's what I would say from a biblical perspective on that. Amen. I hope that helps. Thank you so much. Yeah, we find no place uh, where it says that the those that have departed are observing the conditions of this world. So I hope that helps here. Stay on line. Send you out some books, some DVDs, the movie Jesus. Happy New Year to you. Let's go to Chrissy in Olympia, Washington. Hi, welcome. Hi. My question is, in Genesis 3.15, it talks about um, God telling... Satan, that I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And I've always heard that angels don't reproduce. So I'm just wondering what Satan's seed is in that reference. I believe the seed there is speaking of is sin. Your thoughts? You know, I, you know, Chrissy, it's such a great question you asked there from Olympia, Washington. Let me say this to you. And if you don't know this for our listeners out there, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, is the first inference and mention of the gospel. You'll notice there that it says the seed of the woman. The woman doesn't carry the seed, but the man does. It's talking about a virgin birth. Here, Eve had, as sin has entered the world, and the Lord tells her a promise, even though they're going to suffer the consequences of their sin, that there is one coming. The seed of the woman is going to crush the head of the serpent. It's talking about Jesus. And what we call that there in Genesis 3.15 is the proto-evangelium, which means the first mention of the gospel right there in the first book of the Bible. And then from Genesis to Revelation, you see this thread of redemption running throughout, leading us to Jesus, which is so exciting. But I would agree with Mike. I think it has to do with the seed of the devil, obviously sin that would come. But also I think eventually uh, I think of the Antichrist who's going to be the incarnation of the devil, the devil incarnate as Jesus was God incarnate, the Antichrist, he's going to be filled with the power of Satan, but he's going to be destroyed. He's going to be crushed. When Jesus comes back, Revelation 19 says, sharp sword proceeds out of his mouth, strikes the nations, takes down the Antichrist and all those who are opposed to him. This is a message of hope right there at the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3. Hope that helps. Thank you very much. God bless you, Chrissy. And again, remember just this, as uh, uh, you said, he said that um, women doesn't have seeds. So we know it's speaking of something much greater than just a reproductive type of idea. It's much greater than that. And so hope that clarifies it for you. Stay on line, send you out some books, DVDs. Again, Happy New Year. Let's go to Robert, California. Hi, welcome. Hi, Mike. Hey, Jeff. How's it going? Good. How may we help? My question is in regards to Genesis 3. It's interesting. The last caller was referencing that, too, mm-hmm. um, where the serpent is talking to the woman, Eve, and um, he's tempting her. And then you go into Numbers twenty two twenty one, and Balaam's donkey is talking to Balaam. Mm-hmm. Does Satan have the power to shapeshift? I'm assuming that was Satan who was tempting Eve in the garden. Um, like God opened the mouth of Balaam or Balaam's donkey to talk to Balaam. What's what's the difference between the two? And how how's, who's making both these animals talk? Well, first of all, we know that the the form that Eve talked to there in the garden was not a snake. That's absolute. Here's why. It became a snake 
on the ground after God cursed it. Now, again, God cursed man. From now on, you're going to earn your bread by the sweat of your brow. Woman, you're going to have great travail in having children. And this form that Satan took on was going to be cursed to the ground and slither on its belly, never to mislead man again. Now, for some reason, Satan, Jesus said he beheld Satan fall like lightning. I believe this happened after God created the heavens and the earth, man and everything, because it continually says it was good. It was very good. God wouldn't have an evil devil in a very good world. Um, I believe this happened afterwards. And I believe what caused the rebellion, if we piece together a lot of the verses, to make man a little lower than the angels didn't bother Lucifer or any of the angels. But then this creation, this new creation, would then those that had never seen him choose to love him and worship him, he would elevate above the angels, the Bible says, whereby 1 Corinthians 6 again says, you'll judge angels someday, and called his bride, that God would call this new creation his bride. Now, that evidently caused something to go wrong in Satan, because as you read Isaiah 14, pride entered his heart. And it seems that it was a very quick thing that happened. And whatever it was, was so, so monumentous that it swayed a third of the stars in heaven to go with him. Now, I think, I'm trying to think of anything that I could think of personally in my little brain that would cause an angelic host to rebel against God with Pride being the key motive, and by the way, pride is the key of all sin, but in Isaiah 14, what would that be? There was going to be a creation above Lucifer. And I think this is where the war came in. He was cast to the earth, and whatever form that he had when he came to this earth, as he deceived Eve, God stopped that and cursed it to the ground. I don't believe snakes are a descendant of whatever it was that Eve talked in the garden. Whatever it was that Eve talked in the garden, it was cursed to the ground and slither on its belly. I I believe that this was, um, this, you know, it's interesting. Um, For many years, people have often wondered if what Eve talked to may have looked like something like at a Chinese New Year where you have this mystical floating-looking dragon going down the street, and it covered with lights and all these things. And it may very well be this is what she saw. Uh, I don't picture Eve talking to a a coiled-up snake around a branch. Again, the Bible's clear. That's the form that he had after God cursed it. Before God cursed Satan's form as it was talking to Eve, I believe was something very pleasant to look at. And um, this form that Satan had very possibly when he fell to this earth, um, that was taken away to never deceive man in that way again. Now, Satan's still deceiving. Demons are still deceiving. But not to have this form that whatever it was, was so illustrious to Eve. Your thoughts? Well, the Bible does tell us, um, clearly there, Robert, in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, it says, And no wonder, for Satan himself 
transforms himself into an angel of light. He is a deceiver. By the way, that word that is used there for transform in the Greek language means to change, the change, the figure of, to transform. That That's what he's able to do. Can he shapeshift? I don't know about that, but he definitely can change, and he is a deceiver, and he has been from the beginning. But the second part of your question from Numbers chapter 22, amazing story. Balaam the prophet is there, and the Lord had warned him not to go and curse his people there in the plains of Moab. He didn't listen because there was money involved. They, we often say that Balaam was a prophet, but he spelled it P-O-R-P-R-O-F-I-T. And he was, he was in it for the money, in other words, Mike. So he's traveling there. The angel of the Lord's about to take him out. He doesn't see the angel standing there, but the donkey does. The donkey sits down. Balaam gets upset. Folks, this is in the Bible. And he starts beating his donkey. And it says, Numbers chapter 22, verse 28, then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and she said to Balaam, uh, why have I, why have I done to you or what have I done to you to make you beat me like this these three times? And the amazing thing about that story is not that the donkey talked, but that Balaam talked back to the donkey. They had a conversation. <laughs> so it wasn't the devil in Numbers 22. That was the Lord opening up. Um, I mean, this prophet did not listen. And so the Lord used this unique sign to get his attention. You remember when Jesus was coming in, another example of this, I think Mike would be when Jesus was making his way in his triumphal entry and the Pharisees were saying, Hey, tell these people to be quiet. Jesus said, if I, if I tell these people to be quiet, the rocks themselves will begin to cry out. God can do whatever he wants. He can open up mouths of donkeys and close mouths of lions. And so, uh, just to answer that question for you, Robert, I hope that helps. Best souvenir you can get in Israel is the stones on uh, the descent into the, uh, the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem best deal you can get. They're the, everywhere. <laughs> these very stones would cry out. The stones that didn't cry out, that's what you got. Um, but we do find God using animals all the way through the Bible. We remember the d- disciples needed to pay their taxes. Jesus said to go fishing, and they caught a fish, took the gold coin out of its mouth, and paid their taxes. Uh, 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 kind of amazing things. Hope that answers it for you. One quick question, Jeff, what was that scripture reference you said about Satan taking on the form of, uh, was it Second Corinthians you said? Second Corinthians, Second Corinthians, chapter 11, verse 14. 11, 14. That's the one I want. That's the key to the whole, the whole question right there. That's perfect. And, and many people believe this very possibly could be what people see in the name of UFOs as well. Because uh, the... Uh, these things that take on form that they see do not follow any any laws of thermodynamics. Uh, they they will appear, disappear, appear someplace else in a matter of just seconds, and nothing can move that fast except something in the spiritual world manifesting. Now it's very possible that when the rapture comes, the great deception, the great lie that the Antichrist will tell the world is. The world has purged itself of the undesirables, or the UFOs got them. And we've been trained on that ever since Close Encounters of the Third Kind, where we, at the very end of the movie, you see all these people getting on the UFO. Uh, so I, I don't know, but it always seems to be interesting that there is always an increase of, of um, UFO activity when Israel is in a war. And it may very well be because so much of biblical prophecy surrounds Israel something to think about. Robert, stay in line. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. I think you'll enjoy them, okay? Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Let's go to Nelson, Tampa, Florida. Hi, welcome. 
Hey, Pastor Mike. Hey, Pastor John. First of all, before I ask my question, I just want to say that you both compliment each other on the on the air. So uh, you guys are great. Uh, God is good. Mark my, wheel. My question is, is that um, my, my primary Bible translation is the King James Version, and I've been using that uh, Blue Letter Bible that you normally suggest on air, which is great. And I've noticed that within the past year, two years, uh, doing the parallel, um, you know, comparing it to the King James Version when I'm looking at New American Standard, uh, New Living Translation, um, the NIV, ESV, I've noticed that a lot of those translations omit a lot of words. And not only that, um, an example of that is Acts 8.37, uh, when the eunuch boy there is saying that, uh, you know, when he's getting saved, and he says that to Philip, and he says that he believes that Jesus is the Christ. Um, that's Those passages are even taken out of some of those translations. So my question is, is that should we just stick to the King James Version? Well, I do. Uh, and there's a lot of problems with these new versions. They take liberties that I believe they should not take. I remember uh, there in the Gospels, they brought this young boy to Jesus, said his father said, my son's a lunatic. Oftentimes he throws himself into the water and into the fire. I asked your disciples, cast it out, they didn't. The problem is, is that the word there is moonstruck in the original, uh, in the original Greek. But the new versions use the word epileptic. Nothing is more wrong than that. Epilepsy is a neurological issue. Being moonstruck is a spiritual demonic issue. And today around the world, almost all these occultic practices are done under full moons. Evidently, this kid went out and got himself uh, possessed. Now, the Bible doesn't say how old he is, but he could have been, he could have been in his late teens for all we know. But whatever it was, he was suicidal. He'd throw himself into the water and into the fire. But epilepsy is a neurological issue. We live, in, we live in a fallen world. We have bodies that don't work right. Maybe it's your eyesight that isn't 20-20, or maybe it's your brain doesn't function right. Epilepsy, I believe, falls into those categories. It is not a demon-possessed problem. I've gotten calls over the years concerning this. I'm an epileptic. The Bible says epilepsy. Am I demon-possessed? No. A thousand times no. This was liberties that the translators took that they should never have taken. And the reason why is most of these are coming out of the translations that came out of Alexandria, Egypt, which many believe were corrupted. In fact, if you look at the book of Mark, for instance, there's no resurrection. There's no nothing in the Alexandrian text. The book starts off in, in Mark 16 and then just kind of fades out. It, 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 there's no ending to the book. So this is why the Texas Receptus, I believe, is a much better text because it's more complete. It makes sense. And it's one of the few it's it's the only one that I know of that you can actually do a word study. In other words, if you want to look up birds in the Old Testament and you look up birds in the New Testament, you're going to get a pretty good understanding what the perception of birds were in the Bible. But you can't get that with some of these new versions because they don't do that. Your thoughts? 
Well, I think uh, one of the, first of all, let me just go on record and say, I personally am a fan and have been teaching for the last 25 plus years out of the New King James Version. I grew up on the New too. King James Version. All the verses that I have memorized as a young child, they all, they all happened out of the New King James. I personally feel that that's probably the best translation. Um, but again, I hope you're reading the Bible. But one of the reasons, Mike, is because there, there were new manuscript discoveries in times past. New manuscript discoveries called for a fresh translation of scripture. So for example, when the King James Version was translated in 1611, only a few Greek manuscripts were actually available to us in translating the New Testament. But in 1881, there were about 1,500 Greek manuscripts that were known. Therefore, they revised the edition in 1881, and they took advantage of the new evidence. But the 20th the 20th century, of course, there's been even more discovery. Uh, and so the translations made before 1948, they didn't have the advantage of the Dead Sea Scrolls, which, by the way, I think is a fascinating study. Uh, to, if you don't know about the Dead Sea Scrolls, just, just Google it and look it up, and you'll be amazed at what was found in that discovery. And as they began to put translations together, the earliest manuscripts, I mean, it was like a thousand plus years before what we had, and they found that they matched perfectly. And so I think when you find passages of Scripture that are taken out, Mike, especially as it relates to the blood of Jesus, the atoning work of Christ, to me, I, I have a real hard time with that. And so I, I avoid that. I'll use, you know, what I'm teaching through, maybe the Amplified or the New Living Translation might open it up a little bit more, but I try to stick close to the the text that uh, and the manuscript that I think is is closest to the original. So um, I would encourage people to to think that through. Amen. I hope that helps. It does. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Nelson, stay on line. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs, Movie Jesus. I think you'll really enjoy it. And uh, Happy New Year. Let's go to Brad, Washington. Hi, welcome. Hey, well, thank you, Pastor, for taking my call. Uh, my question is, uh, I'd like to hear your opinions on uh, yoga or just laughing yoga. Uh, do you think there's a spiritual um, uh, foundation to this? I do. I just have problems with yoga, period. Uh, um, I don't have any problem with the bending of the body and, and you know muscle toning and things like that. But it's the spiritual aspect or where you are leaving yourself open to to, uh, you know, what you're trying to do to your body and your muscles, you're doing to your brain and to your spirit. I, I believe that's extremely dangerous. Your thoughts? Yeah, I would agree. I think, you know, a lot of us here in the West, we don't understand the background or the history of yoga and where it came from there in India. I mean, it's one thing to desire to be flexible. And I think it's important, the older we get, we need to stretch. Uh, but that's not the, the <laughs> ultimate goal of yoga. This is the purpose of yoga is for the enlightening of the mind and, and this spiritual journey that you can go on and, and so forth. And, and I think the only spiritual journey I want to go on is the one that Jesus is on. And I want to stay in the Word of God. So I, I think you have to be very careful with that. You need to use wisdom and discernment. And I think uh, again, a lot of times, whether it's Hatha yoga or this is a new one, laughing yoga, I never heard of that one. Uh, that would be hard to hold a position and laugh at the same time, Mike. I just want to say uh, that some of these things they want you to do, it'd be hard. A laughing, thinking about me in that position is 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 enough for me. But I would say you got to be really careful. These things, sometimes they can be a, a doorway into other things that maybe you're not prepared for. So you need to use wisdom and discernment concerning these things. Yeah, if they spent more time on spiritual aspect as Paul says, bodily exercise profiteth little. Uh, it profits some, but it isn't just the being a bendy doll that that is is what the problem is. It's what it opens a person up to, 
uh, in other aspects. And I think that's where you have to be very, very careful. Brad, I hope that helps. That did. Thank you very much. Stay online. We'll send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. The Bible tells us that we need to really focus our, our energies on the things of God's Word, not elsewhere. Let's go to Lindsay, Salt Lake City. Hi, welcome. Hi. I just have a question. I have been looking for scripture because it really me having a mental illness and suicides that were Christian because of the mental illness is wanting the point to go I've been looking for scripture, I've been asking Yahweh, I've been looking for scripture, and I came across first Well, Lindsay, we're only getting about every third word you're saying. There's something not right with your phone there. Uh, can you ask the question one more time? Yeah, let me know if this works. Much better. Um, okay, cool. Um, basically, <clears throat> I struggle with mental illness and stuff like that, and I really care a lot for people who have um, taken their lives because of wanting to pain to end and just, you know. And I've been asking God, please give me a scripture so I can understand and be maybe at peace with people who love Christ and took their life. And I came across first Corinthians three verses six through 10 last night. Do not, you know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And I was wondering if that could maybe minister to those a little bit. Well, sure. The Bible says God will not dwell in buildings made with men's hands. I think it's always interesting when you get into the occult, occultic religions, uh, just cults in general, they put great emphasis on their temples, whether it be in America or around the world. But God will not dwell in buildings made with man's hands, but he will dwell in us. John, your thoughts? Well, I would say to, uh, you know, Lindsay, first of all, I just want to say, you know, our prayers are with you. And there's a lot of people like you suffering with depression, yes. mental illness. These are real things that we're battling today. And the good news is that we have hope, a living hope. We can have peace in the midst of difficulty. We can have hope in the midst of hardship. And I would say to anybody listening today, battling with, struggling with depression, or even having thoughts that are uh, of ending your own life, we, we want you to know here that there is a reason for your existence, that God loves you. He created you for a purpose. And the only one that would want you to take your life is the devil. He came to kill and to destroy. But Jesus said, I have come to give you life and that more abundantly. And there is hope found in Jesus. And we want you to know that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that there is strength. Even in, in that mental weakness, God's grace is sufficient to strengthen you for each day. And that's what I would encourage people. When I come across people who are battling that, I take them to the Word of God. And you'll find throughout the Scriptures, there were many people who struggled with that. Moses and David and Elijah, they all thought, Lord, I've had enough. And yet God strengthened them and continued to use them. Amen. And I hope that helps. Yeah, it does. Thank you, guys. I appreciate it. Well, God's good. Remember, Lindsay, he loves you. And anybody, I, I think the devil comes to us in different ways. And, and I think the one thing you always, we always have to remember, God's alive in us, working daily, and nothing, no trial lasts forever. We'll get through it. So if you're going through something right now that's heavy and hard and you don't think you're, hey, listen, 
All your cares upon him, Peter says, for he cares for you. That's what we want to do, and you will see it through. Lindsay, stay on line. We'll get you taken care of. Thank you so much, John, for being on. Can't wait to have you back on with me again. You're a blessing. God bless you, brother. Happy New Year, everyone. See you tomorrow. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 